Happy versus Flourishing, episode 17. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas on how to have a better quality of life in some respect. Today's guest, Duncan Baskerin Brown, he's an award winning speaker, author, and Morris dancer, and he's helped hundreds of people across the world to get over indulgence and wake up to a better tomorrow. He's spoken at events in all sorts of different sectors. So we're going to find out a lot more from Duncan coming up. If you do enjoy this episode, or you know someone who could get some really real value from this, why not share the episode with them? Subscribe to the podcast, that gets uh, more people get to find out about it. And especially if you leave a review, that really helps us out as well. And now time for today's episode with Duncan. Welcome to Happy Versus Flourishing. My guest today, Duncan Baskaran Brown. We, I practiced that as well before, and I still managed to make it up. How are you doing, Duncan? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. It's, it's good to have you on um, because we've obviously come across each other over the last few years on the sort of speaking circuit, and we have similar a similar mindset about many things. So it seemed to make sense to me to, to have you as a guest. Yeah, absolutely. I've always enjoyed chatting to you. Um, now we have the added bonus that people can listen along. It's great. <laughs> so do you want to tell people, for anyone listening who doesn't, you know, unsure what it is exactly you do? I mean, I, I'll have given a description in the preamble before the recording you know, as, at the start of the show. But what, what is it that you actually do? Uh, so my name is Duncan Baskaran brown I am a speaker, an author, and a Morris dancer. <laughs> Which possibly doesn't tell you that much. So I, I kind of help people get over indulgence. That's really right, really my main thing. Whether you indulge in a little bit too much wine, that extra slice of cake, a Netflix binge, staying up all night playing online gaming, uh, using your phone too much, um, even smoking and drugs, uh, gambling, that sort of thing. Whatever it, whatever it is that you overindulge in, I reckon I can help you uh, get that under control. And do you, do you do that on like a sort of coaching basis or how is it you help? So, yeah, I, 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 I do do coaching. I mean, my particular passion is uh, standing up on a stage and, uh, yes, it's, let's be honest, Tony, I like showing off, don't I? Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I, I, I'm a speaker primarily, but I also uh, run workshops and I do a little bit of coaching here and there. And so how did this all come about? What, what's the backstory of that? So, yeah, I, I, I've got an awful lot of experience. That's it. I spent 20 years of, uh, you know, drinking, smoking, taking drugs, eating rubbish, uh, staying up all night on the PlayStation. Like that's, that's like the, the, the PlayStation, not like the PlayStation with a number, the original one. Um, mm. and yeah, you know, I, I slowly kind of transformed my life, got it into a position where you know these days I wake up in the morning full of energy happy excited raring to go and uh you know I have done quite a lot of other things in my life uh and I sort of you know I think you could look at that and say well on the face of it you've been quite successful Duncan but I think the greatest success I've ever had in my life has been you know getting over indulgence and getting myself to a position where you know I, I don't have I don't really suffer from stress and uh, I'm in control of what I do and I'm not tired and uh, that's really what I want to share with people you know that wonderful wonderful feeling of bouncing out of bed in the morning excited and raring to go for the day because I believe I genuinely believe that everybody can have that so what was it that caused you to change what was there something that happened health-wise I mean what, what, what was it Oh, yeah, I'd love to tell you I had this, like, blinding road to Damascus moment. Um, they normally happen in the middle of the night, don't they? You're staring into the bathroom mirror and suddenly it all clicked. But, uh, you know, for me, it wasn't one single thing. It was, uh, you know, over a number of years. Um, I met a really amazing woman. Um, I mean, she was a bit odd. You know, she didn't really drink, didn't take drugs, didn't smoke. She even had chickpeas. I mean, how weird is that, Tony? and uh you know she's sort of like she's an amazing amazing lady and she sort of gently poked me and pointed out that maybe smoking was not great and um smoking was uh 
not good for her either because I was doing it in the flat that we lived in. So, um, you know, she kind of helped me move along a little bit. And then we tried to, um, we tried to have a family. Uh, we, uh, we had a couple of miscarriages. She blamed my drunken sperm. I'm not sure that's necessarily scientific fact, but it became kind of obvious to me that drinking two bottles of wine a night and having a small child was going to be sort of like, it was going to be difficult, wasn't it? It's was going to present me with some problems. So um, I sort of smartened up my life a little bit more uh, in the pursuit of being a father. I'm very glad I did. Got a lovely, uh, got a lovely daughter now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last thing that I sort of really sorted out was was my diet, um, and that was after after Leela was born. My wife had some uh, had some mental health problems. She's had mental health problems the whole time that I've known her, but you know they were particularly acute after Leela was born. Sadly, mm-hmm. that is all too common. I think it's about thirty percent of women suffer some sort of mental health problem after pregnancy. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she she found that really really tough, and that of course a lot of stress on me and I just like turned around one day and I thought I am eating triple chocolate chip cookies the way I used to drink and uh, then I thought I ought to do something about it got into the whole um, plant-based whole food kind of thing and uh, never looked back really and so what was it that made yeah what was it made you turn to to the whole um, plant-based food I did have a bit of a road to Damascus moment with that but um it was uh, it was on the M25. It was more of a road to Boreham Wood moment, which probably doesn't have the same ring to it. But um, no, I was driving along, and I was listening to an audio book by a guy called T. Colin Campbell. It's called Whole. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic book, and uh, you know, Colin Campbell's in like he's in seventy or something like that, and he runs yeah. five or six miles a week or something like that and he said he's like the the guy sounds like he's got he had more energy and vigor than I had at the time and I was like hold on a minute I've just just turned 40 how can how can you be in better shape than me that's not right is it and he'd spent a long time going on about how the WFPB diet can you know help reduce uh, cancer and it can prevent heart disease and diabetes and all of these sort of things which like yeah okay yeah I, I don't want to get cancer. I'm with you on that, Colin. But, you know, it was really, it was the way he was talking about his life, you know, waking mm. up in the morning, feeling full of zest and vigor and all mm. of that kind of stuff. And I just thought, I, I really, I do want some of that. I need some of that. Mm. Um, but what was it that made you read that book in the first place, considering how you, from the sounds of things, how you were eating and living? What, what was it that turned you on to that? So I read an awful lot. I mean, I'm, I, I, I like yourself. Uh, I, I love books and I, I definitely eat them like some sort of crazy bookworm. And I have two sort of strategies. I have, um, I, I'm very particular with some books that I just, like, that is a book I want to read. I, sometimes mm. it's stuff that's recommended to me. Sometimes it's just, um, I've got a particular obsession, so I'm going to read a book about it. Um, and mm. I'm very focused with about 50% of the reading that I do. And then I've also got um, an audio book app from the library. And mm. you, you get, you, they, they've got a wide selection, but you can't get anything you want. If you think to yourself, Ah, uh, you know, I'd like to read uh, Michael Rosen's book of play, for example. You know, they won't have mm. it. So if you yeah. want, if if I want to read that, I have to go down my more kind of directed strategy. And then mm. I just so I just I just surf through their catalogue and pick out literally random stuff. And sometimes mm. it's great, sometimes it's not so great. But mm. yeah, I just saw whole and I thought well, that looks interesting enough I am more than happy to commit some of my um I was going to Boreham Wood a lot at that uh, that period in my life so p- perfectly happy to commit some of my drive to Boreham Wood to see whether this is any good or not and it turned out to be you know like literally one of the most amazing books I've, I've ever read and did you read the China study after that? Uh, yes, I've read the China study I did the um I did the plant-based nutrition course at uh, the Oh, Colin Campbell it. Study Centre, you know, like, uh, very, very into his stuff. Mm. And for for the, uh, I would imagine many people listening aren't really, maybe aren't aware of Colin Campbell. They probably didn't quite catch what WFPB is no, and so on. Either, we're we're <laughs> talking in uh, <laughs> jargon again. Okay, so this yeah. way I explain it to you. It happened to me yesterday. Um, I was eating my lunch 
And uh, one of the trainees on the course I was running said to me, so um, are you a vegetarian? And I said, no, uh, it's worse than that. And he said, oh, you're a vegan. I said, no, it's worse than that. And he went, what? what? What's worse than being a vegan? Uh, so I said, I'm plant-powered. And then, of course, he had no clue what I was talking about. But So the way I explain it is that um, I only eat fruit, vegetables, beans, and whole grains, and nuts, and seeds. And that's it. And I try to eat them as close to the form that they grew in as possible. I mean, clearly, I do cook. I do cook my couscous. I'm not insane. Um, but I don't eat processed food. So I don't eat added salt. I don't eat added sugar. I don't eat added oil. So, I mean, I consider olive oil to be processed food, which I think is probably fairly extreme. Well, no, sadly, it's fairly extreme. I wish people had a... a uh, a different view towards food, but we, we that's, that's probably another story. Yeah, so WFPB, whole food, plant-based. Only eat plants and eat them as close to the way they grew as possible. And so after reading that book, how easy or difficult was it for you to start making some of the changes that he was talking about? I didn't find it at all difficult. Um, now, most people would look at me and go, oh, yeah, well, of course it was easy for you because um, this wonderful lady that I met, my wife, Sarija, um, she, uh, she's had on and off periods of vegetarianism throughout our relationship. So I have had kind of on and off um, vegetarianism by association throughout our, uh, our relationship. Um, so we weren't eating a super abundance of animal products. I'd also already kind of got the environmental message about animal products that they are very bad for the environment and i was i was trying to cut down from that point of view anyway um so like i would always have meat in my sandwiches at lunch and then i thought well no that's not great i'll have something else in my sandwiches and then you have cheese and then you think well that's actually an animal product as well so it's just as bad so i'd already kind of cracked um uh, vegetarian lunches so and i could cook as well i mean it was pretty I think I am a pretty good cook. Well, I, I like it, and that's all that counts, isn't it? So um, I cook. I already wasn't eating masses of uh, animal products. So a lot of people would probably look at that and think, well, yeah, it was easy for you. You were already in a particularly good position. But I, I, I think it can be easy for anybody. It's a matter of adjusting the way you think about something. So mm. I don't know. Let me ask you a question, Tony. Have you ever eaten a picture of an apple? A picture of an apple. Yeah, yeah, like you see an apple in a magazine or something. Have you ever torn the picture out and eaten it? No. No, why not? I mean, it looks like food, doesn't it? <laughs> I guess it does look like food, yeah. yeah. But you don't eat it because it only looks like food. You know that it isn't food. So mm -hmm. as soon as um, I had had my uh, ideas shifted about what is and isn't food, I find it mm -hmm. very easy to only eat stuff that I now consider to be food. Stuff that looks like food like you know sugar and chocolate and cake and all of that sort of stuff it looks mm. like food but because i know it isn't food i don't struggle to um mm. uh, not eat it mm. and so it sounds like so the transition was, was pretty easy then yeah i mean i think i i I basically applied the same method that i'd used to stop smoking and stop drinking to stop eating junk food mm. and that's that, I think, is the really good news. The good news that people like um, Alan Carr have been saying for a long time and Jack Trimpey have been saying for a long time that there there is a way of changing your mindset towards things like food and drink and drugs and junk food. And, you know, it's remarkably effective at whatever um, overindulgence you're looking at. So mm. for me, it was, it was dead easy. I just went, well, you know, I'll just think about it in the same way that I thought about alcohol. And didn't you lose quite a bit of weight in that process? Yeah, um, I lost about two and a half stone, something like that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I was, um, I'd just been uh, tweaking my website and I was looking back through some photos. And there's this great photo that I really, really love of me on stage. And I wanted to use it. And I thought, well, no, I can't because it's, it's from a few years ago now. And I do look, I look like a completely different person. Mm. And so you, you said that the um, <clears throat> the process of getting off the, the drugs and the, and the drink and everything. So how 
how easy or difficult was that process then? So obviously, you know, from what you're saying, that once you decided to change the food, it was much easier because of what you'd gone through before. But what was the initial change? How hard was that? Uh, no, it's, no, that's the, the, the great thing. I mean, it's a, it's a sad indictment about our society that the way that that question is always posed was, how hard was it? Because the mm. expectation is really hard. I had to yeah. white knuckle through the pain. And the mm. beautiful truth is that it's really not that hard. It's quite easy. It's a matter mm. of rejigging your mindset. I mean, the way I like to talk about, uh, talk about it, the way I'd say very briefly to people, what you've got to realize is that there's, um, this little voice in your head. You can call it cravings. You could call it urgings. You could call it whatever you like. I call it Hank, but that's, that's a long story. Um, and you've just, you've just got to know that that voice is in your head and it's going to say to you, have a drink, uh, eat some cake, have some cheese, have a cigarette, uh, stay up all night playing online gaming, Netflix binge, whatever. It's going to say that to you. And it is a part of you, but it's that like lower part of your brain. It's not the higher part of your brain. It's not the bit that makes the decisions. It's the bit that has the urges. So once you've recognized and accepted that you have that, you can then kind of uh, personify it. Um, Jack Trimpey was a, a big fan of calling it the beast, which I think is a bit strong. Like I say, I called it Hank. Um, you can call it what you like. Just, you know, give it a name and be clear that that is what is telling you to eat the food or drink the booze or smoke the cigarettes or whatever. Um, and then all you really need is some sort of response to that, uh, that voice. So, I mean, for, for me, plenty of things made a big difference. I mean, when it was smoking, I would always think about, yeah, you can, you can pick your numbers, but the average smoker will spend between 50 and a hundred thousand pounds in their lifetime on cigarettes. Uh, mm. and I, I pretty much stopped smoking with one question. Uh, is this cigarette worth, you know, 50,000 pounds? Do I need it so much that I'm prepared to pay £50,000 for it? Because that's what it's going to cost. If I have that one cigarette I'm going to smoke for the rest of my life, it's going to cost me £50,000. So that one question pretty much shut Hank up like nothing uh, with cigarettes. With alcohol, it was, again, one question. You know, how is this going to make it better? Whenever uh, I thought to myself, oh, I should have a drink, and Hank would be, you know, go and have a drink, you deserve it. It's always deserve it, isn't it? Um, I would just say to him, oh, you know, how's this going to make it better? Because uh, your, your listeners all know the answer to that question. How is a glass of wine going to make it better? Yeah. So those are, those are the, the three things, you know, except that you've got that little voice, give it a name and then come up with an answer to it. You know, it might be um, for, I know a lot of your, your listeners run their own businesses uh, and it might just be, how is that going to make my business better? You know, there's lots of lots of different ways of approaching it. And ah, you got creative, intelligent listeners, Tony. They'll they'll come up with some good stuff. <laughs> but one of the things that I'm wondering is, um, so you're saying, I mean, for you, clearly, it was you didn't find it difficult. So why is it then? Why do you think that so many people do find it so difficult? Well, people kind of take the wrong approach to it, and um, they sort of. <sighs> They, they think that they're missing out on something and that's, they think they're giving something up. Um, mm. and they still want to, um, they still want to do what it is that they're doing. And that mm. makes it difficult. Then you have to actually fundamentally, you know, resist it, don't you? So it's mm. almost like they want to eat pictures of apples and they're, they're trying as hard as they can to not eat the picture of the apple. Whereas you've got to realize by asking those questions, you know, how is it going to help? Is this worth 50,000 pounds? Is this going to make me a better business? Is this going to make me a better father? Is this going to improve my life? By asking those questions, which you already know the answer to, you no longer really want to do it. You put yourself off doing it. And when you don't want to do something, it's dead easy not to want to do it. But if you just say to yourself, oh, I've got to stop smoking because it's costing me a load of money and it's bad for my health, or I've got to stop eating junk food because I've got to lose some weight or I've got to stop drinking because my wife's nagging me you are mm. the, the, you're fundamentally going at it with a point of view of I am giving up something that is making me happy mm. um, and that makes you sad when you give up something that you, that makes you happy an, an, an analogy would be 
most people try and quit uh, drinking, they, for them, it's being dumped by a girlfriend. Mm. So they always miss it and they're always sad about it and it takes them ages to get over it and they're heartbroken. Whereas yeah. the way I would encourage you to do it is you, you, you're, you're not being dumped by alcohol. You are dumping alcohol. You're kicking mm. it to the curb, baby. And when you do that, you don't go through a mourning period. You don't like look back and sort of mope and be sad about it. You move on and you get on with your life. Mm. And so do you find most of the people that you're, well, people listening to you from stage and people that you are, that you do do sort of one-to-one -one work with, is, are you able to, to communicate that to people to make it easy for them generally? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm, most people, most people get it because it's, it's pretty simple and a lot of it you already know. You're just, you know, you're not actually prepared to admit it to yourself. And sometimes mm. somebody just giving you a little bit of a prod, you know, it, it, it makes it easy for you to accept what you already know that, that what you're doing isn't doing anything for you. It's not actually a pleasure. It's not making you happy. It's certainly not helping you flourish. Um, mm. so, once almost somebody gives them the permission to do that, then mm. that makes them very, very happy. And people, people get smiles on their face quite quickly. Mm. And so it sounds from, from what you were saying in the beginning of the episode, you, you made all these changes. And so now you're, it sounds like you're a, a very different person in terms of your energy and your approach to life and, and so on. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, the, the first thing I really noticed when I stopped drinking was just the amount of time that I had. Um, mm. It was just, it was, it was spectacular. Uh, I, mean, I worked really hard, you know. I, I've always worked hard during my life. I'm just one of those people. I get, I, I get bored easily, so I have, I have to keep at it. And mm. I'd, I'd get up in the morning and I'd be full gas um, from the moment I got out of bed till about nine o'clock at night. And then I think, well, I've worked hard today. I deserve a drink. That's what Hank would be saying in the back of my mind. You deserve a drink, Duncan. You've done so well. So um, I'd sit down and I'd have a drink. And uh, that'd be about nine o'clock. And I'd probably, um, you know, drink till about midnight, something like that, pass out on the sofa, probably eventually go to bed in the middle of the night. Um, and I didn't think that that was actually really taking up much in my time because I do something whilst I was drinking. I didn't think it was time I was spending drinking, but, you know, most, most of the time that I was doing something whilst drinking was probably was watching police camera action or some junk on the telly anyway. So what I realized when I stopped drinking was that it was three hours a day. It was from nine till midnight, pretty much every night. Now, if you times three by seven, that's 21, which is pretty much an entire day, including all the bit when you're asleep. So mm. all of a sudden, when I stopped drinking, I had this super abundance of time. And it was just, mm. it's like fantastic. I like literally got a free day out of not drinking anymore. Mm. But the, the, the other like massive benefit and, something that I really try and build into my, my life now is when you, uh, when you're drinking, when you're eating junk food, when you're really hitting the online gaming, that sort of thing, you, you wake up every morning and you say to yourself, oh, I'm not going to do it today. I don't need to do it today. I don't want to do it today. I'll be fine. Today's going to be different, isn't it? And mm. then it gets to like around four or five o'clock and you start thinking, Oh, maybe I will have a drink tonight. But what you you're doing the whole time is you're, you're having a discussion with yourself and you're pondering over whether to make a decision or not. And pondering over whether, whether or not to make a decision is, is incredibly taxing. It takes up a lot of mental energy. And what I have found since I stopped drinking is um, I, I have it's so much easier for me to make decisions because I'm not putting all of that mental energy and all of that mental focus into fighting myself as to whether I should have a drink or not. Um, so that's, that's something that I, I try and build into my life completely. I try and automate everything. I try to make as, as few decisions as I possibly can uh, now mm. so that I can, um, you just focus on the big decisions. Mm. So with the people that, that you speak to and, and you help, is um because it is all mindset but do 
I'm just wondering, are there which of the the various sort of addictions, you know, from drink and food and cigarettes and drugs and you know all, all the other things that there are, which have you found that people have had most trouble trying to change? Oh yeah, so I think. It, that is a that is a really good question. I, I think the easiest thing to stop doing is smoking, which everybody gets a little bit surprised about because smoking is generally considered to be harder to quit than heroin. Um, mm. But it, it, it's for me, it's the easy one. In fact, I often explain certain basic principles about how it works through smoking because we're in a, a reasonably good position. So. If you look back in the good old days, you know, 50s, 60s, about 60% of the adult uh, population smoked. Um, mm. Now it's only about eight, 15% of the adult population smokes. So mm. um, there are a lot less smokers about these days. So you can explain stuff using smoking um, quite easily. And it doesn't, it, people don't sort of like put up some sort of mental defense to it. Whereas if you explain something using what, uh, the, the, uh, drink if they're drinkers then they'll be like they'll be trying to have a bit of an argument with you so I, I, I love explaining smoking to people but also it's just it, it like literally does nothing for you so it mm. is the easiest to get across to people that they're getting nothing out of it uh, mm. the, the the way uh, a good friend of mine puts it um you know there is a word in the english language uh, for having drunk too much alcohol, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I, I take it you know well, it. There's numerous words. There's yeah. a lot of words, isn't there? Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's loads. There are a fair few words for um, having taken uh, drugs and the state that um, taking drugs puts you into. But mm. here you go, and I'm sure you could come up with plenty of them. If <laughs> probably not fill the podcast with that, though. Um, but here's the thing. What is the word that you would use to say that you've smoked a cigarette? Yeah, I can't think of one. No, it's, there is no word in the English language to describe mm. the effects of cigarettes. That's mm. really, really I suppose, I suppose for drugs you would say overdose, but you, I can't think well, of anything. I mean, stoned would be the one that yeah. particularly, or high, you know. There, there, are, there, there are still quite a few, um, but there is no word to say that you have smoked a cigarette. Uh, so I think that tells you something that there, there, there is no effect, you know, mm. there, there is nothing, mm. literally nothing in smoking. There's no point. And I, I figured that out long before I stopped smoking. Um, so it's the easiest one I think to see that it's not doing anything for you. Um, people still cling to the idea that, you know, alcohol helps you relax and it makes you better in social situations and things like that. So you, uh, you need to unpick that with people sometimes. And people genuinely believe that they like the taste of Cadbury's dairy milk. <laughs> well, and it's like before we started recording and the, the, the um, little factoid you told me about ice cream. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, um, Baskins Robbins that's the American one wasn't it I think it was Mr. Baskins he um, died of a heart attack in like his early 50s or something like that and then Mm -hmm. I think it was Ben of Ben and Jerry fame who had a quadruple bypass which sort Mm -hmm. of makes you wonder about the uh, how good ice cream is for you but people will Mm -hmm. tell you that they like the taste of ice cream and I get that I mean I understand Mm -hmm. exactly why people say that it's because it's packed full of sugar and fat and sugar mm. and fat has a massive effect on your brain. And it is all brain chemistry you know, at the end of the day. Mm. I mean, I know you uh, in, in, interviewed Linda Shaw uh, not so long mm. ago, and I'm sure she'd explain it a lot better than I, did, I, I ever could. But, you know, it, it, it has an effect on your brain. That's what you're enjoying. It's not mm. the taste that you're enjoying. Mm, absolutely. And so I'm wondering when you... The audiences that you speak to, I'm presuming that they are kind of mixed in terms of their attitudes towards, you know, all the different things around food and alcohol and so on. And so how, what kind of reactions do you get from people who are not into, say, whole plant-based food for a start? Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I don't um, espouse a particular diet. I mean, I live a particular diet a lifestyle more than a diet i suppose but um i don't on on stage i'm i'm not here to convince you to eat uh, wfpb i'm just here to 
try and help you push the indulgence out of your diet and eat a healthier diet because like mm. we can we can discuss what actually constitutes a healthy diet uh, but broadly speaking you know i've never met anyone that's told me that vegetables aren't any good for you you know mm. everybody knows what a good diet looks like and it's um it's uh, michael uh, pollen wasn't it he said it said it very well didn't he um don't eat anything your grandma wouldn't recognize uh eat stuff that comes from a plant not uh, that grew on a plant not wasn't rather made in a plant i thought sorry i've really butchered his great saying <laughs> but you know he, he said you know eat more plants eat less food all yeah. that sort of stuff we all know what a, what a healthy diet is so i don't really like try and tell people what they should and shouldn't eat i just try and help mm. them get the stuff out of their diet that they know they're not really enjoying um mm. So, I mean, I do get different reactions from people. Uh, I get get that reaction, you know, the the one that you really love when people come up to you and go, that's amazing, that's really changed the way I look at things. And, you know, I get people come and tell me what they've called their little um, internal voice that's telling them to to eat uh, eat the ice cream. That's always quite good as well. And then I get some people who come up to me I get two types of people who come up to me and tell me that um, they don't have a problem. Um, mm. One of them, uh, they, 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 by telling me they don't have a problem, they make it abundantly obvious that they do have a problem. And that's, mm. you know, that's what it is. I, you, you can't always get through to everybody. I can't change your life for you. You have to do it yourself. I, can, mm. I, I will try and help and I will point you in the right direction. But at the end of the day it's you that has to make the decision so when people come up to me mm-hmm. and you know tell me they don't have a problem in that way it may it makes me sad but mm-hmm. you know you can't you can't win them all you know you've got you've got to just mm-hmm. do the best you can i suppose and then there's the other group of people that come up to me and tell me they don't have a problem and i genuinely believe them because they don't have a problem and i love that i love that more i wish i wish i were i wish i didn't have a business I wish I didn't need to stand up on stage, much as I love showing off. I really wish I didn't have to go on stage and tell people this stuff. I, I wish there was no need for it because there genuinely mm. there is no need for it. You know, mm. um, it's just it's just sad that our society is just it's geared up, not purposefully. I don't believe anybody has ever sat there and thought, right, we'll just make everybody overindulge in everything. I just think mm-hmm. it's all of the way the circumstances have combined. I don't think, I genuinely don't think Mark Zuckerberg ever set out to addict the world to Facebook, but mm-hmm. you know, that's his business model. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So social media, that's the way they do it. Netflix, they, they're not, they're not, I don't believe they're genuinely evil. I don't think that they're out there and they thought, oh, I know what, we'll just make the next episode start so that people become zombies sat in front of their TV for 14 hours a day. That's not what it did. You know, Nintendo, uh, Xbox, um, PlayStation, they, they didn't set out to make people stay up all night so they get fired from their job. That wasn't what they did. The food companies, they... <laughs> That, that, that they didn't really set out to create obesity. They set out to sell more of their product because that is what they believe to be success. And fair mm. enough. You know, I, I know you know this, and I'm pretty sure most of your audience will know this. Anybody in business knows it's far easier to sell to an existing customer than it is to mm. acquire a new customer. And that's great. Unless, of course, you sell Coke and then you're just trying to sell more Coke to the same people. Mm. And that has such an effect on their lifestyle. But I don't genuinely think that makes them evil. I just think that's the way it got set up. And then you can look at, you know, you can look at the way we shop. You can look at the way we uh, do everything online. You can look at alcohol. You can look at cigarettes. The whole world is set up to make you overindulge. But I don't think it's because there's anybody evil out there trying to ruin your day. I just think that's the way it's sort of come out. So, you know, it's really, it's, it's hard for people. It's particularly hard for young people growing up in an environment like this. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I wish, I wish I didn't need to stand up on stage. I'd like, please, everybody, stop indulging and put me out of business. <laughs> well, and that makes me wonder which, um, you know, who is it that's booking you? Is it? typically sort of corporations or who is it 
Well, conference-wise, at the moment, Tony, nobody's booking me. <laughs> that's a bit of a problem in our industry at the moment. But, uh, yeah, mm. so I do I do a lot of work in schools. Um, I do some work in universities. I do some work in companies. Um, I do some work um, with individuals. So... And don't you, you you do some stuff for the NHS as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do some um, I do some training for the NHS. Um, I do some stop smoking stuff, which uh, I um, I do through uh, the Easy Way clinics, which was started by an, an amazing guy called Alan Carr, not the comedian Alan Carr, the world famous um, addiction expert Alan Carr. Um, <clears throat> I do some work with them, and we do some work through the NHS. Uh, for the NHS now we're increasingly doing more and more of that thankfully the NHS has started to wake up to the fact that oh yeah I didn't even insult the um, uh, pharmacology industry did I Uh, I didn't insult big pharma but um, yeah I mean they're designed to sell you more of their products aren't they that's that's their business Um, and what they try and do is sell people who have stopped smoking they want to sell them nicotine replacement therapy and Champix which is the the magic stop smoking uh, medication that doesn't work Um, and it, it obviously doesn't work. I mean, did have you ever smoked, Tony? No. No. Well done. But anybody out there who's ever smoked, well, you know that the, 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 the actual physical side effects of not smoking are not that bad. Most people can sit, most smokers, if they're in the right situation, can go for quite a long time without smoking. So the, mm-hmm. the lack of nicotine is not the problem. So nicotine replacement mm-hmm. therapy is definitely not the solution. But the NHS mm-hmm. has been peddling it for years, not because they're evil, but because they pay a lot of attention to the um, big pharma. And big pharma wants to sell you nicotine replacement therapy. Ideally, they'd sell you that for the rest of your life. And they're loving mm-hmm. it. You know, all those people out there who are actually hooked on nicotine gum. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Customers for life. Love it. Um, I don't think they're evil. They're just trying to make a buck, as we all are. So uh, thankfully, the NHS is starting to wake up to the fact that there is another way to um, help people stop smoking that doesn't involve uh, nicotine replacement therapy or Champix. And um, it's been proven. There was a there's a study done by one of the big London universities recently comparing the Easy Way Clinic to um, NHS's gold standard uh smoking cessation stuff and the easy way clinic outperformed it quite easily which wasn't a surprise to me and how long does the process take that with the, you know, the kind of easy way that you're talking about uh so um the easy way is uh, it's a seminar it lasts for a day uh you know you come in nervous and petrified at about 10 o'clock and you go out between three and four with a big grin on your face never smoking again and is there, do you, are you, do you get any sort of statistics to let you know how successful people have been? Uh, have yeah, so, I mean, there's, uh, the Easy Way Clinic offers a, 90, uh, a money back guarantee. And mm-hmm. um, th- there's obviously conditions to that money back mm-hmm. guarantee, but very few people take them up on it. So the, the success rate from that point of view is, is quite good. I mean, I... I, I know from personal experience that there are a lot of people out there that have stopped using the easy way method, that found it, you know, easy. That's why it's called the easy way. I uh, found it enjoyable and um, have never had the desire to uh, smoke again. So, uh, yes, the recent study, uh, I can't remember which university it was. It was one of the big London ones. Um, they... They obviously had a statistic, uh, and I'm trying to remember it. Does it show that I'm thinking and speaking at the same time? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, the statistics are certainly enviable in comparison to the NHS's uh, performance. How do you, um, where do you see your sort of business going over the next few years when um, we're back back to normal or whatever that is yeah so I, I i think like a lot of people i like doing things in person and i like face to face and they definitely i acknowledge that there is a place for um online stuff i mean i love zoom i've been using zoom since before it was fashionable um and I, i'm perfectly i am happy to work on uh online platforms it's it's not it's not a problem it's just it's not what i enjoy as much as mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, being in the room with people because it, part of it is there, there's that connection. There's that, just that, that thrill of being in front of real people and interacting with real people. But there's also that great bit, you know, um, when you, you've just come off stage and people come up to you and have a, have a chat to you and sort of like want to know a little bit more. And mm. it's, it's very hard to replicate that on online I think so yeah the way, way I see my business going is hopefully back to um nice big stages bigger stages that's what I like um nice big audiences that's that's really where I want to be uh I'm going to have a book come out probably next year and uh we I'm talking to my marketing consultant about how we're going to put together an online package because I think that's that's really important uh it's great being able to help people in person face to face but sadly there's only one of me so I'm definitely looking at ways that I can help more people and I mean you mentioned about the book what angle will the book come from who will it be um what will that be about yeah it's it's going to be um a little bit of biography so it's it's going to be about my my journey and then uh it's going to be the basic method that I, uh, that I talk to people about, you know, about accepting that you have this voice telling you to, um, eat, eat the cake or drink the beer, um, naming that voice and then coming up with some responses to that voice. So it's going to be my, my story, that method. And then there'll probably be a little bit of a dive into some various areas. So there'll probably be a chapter on drinking and one on online gaming and one on uh, social media and things like that. Hmm. Well, if, if people want to find out more about you and you know what it is that you do, where, where would they go to? Well, the, I, I am really easy to find on the internet so long as you can spell my name. <laughs> Duncan you probably don't have too much of a problem with and Brown you probably don't have too much of a problem with but Baskaran is uh, BH so long as you remember that there's an H in it it's fairly easy to spell B-H-A-S-K-A-R-A-N uh, so BaskaranBrown.com is my website and I, I'm pretty busy on LinkedIn as well in as far as I like to actually, you know, talk to people on LinkedIn. I don't do a massive amount of um, publishing on there. I do bits, but um, yeah, I love to talk to people and actually connect with people. Um, mm. And I th- LinkedIn's a fantastic platform for doing that mm. as well. So uh, those are the, the two best places to get in touch with me. You mentioned just now about your book, which you um, will be coming out next year, but what would if um is there a book that you often recommend to people well i i i've already mentioned um whole by t colin campbell haven't i so mm. i should probably come up with something else say like i've i've read more than one book in my life <laughs> uh there are lots and lots of really amazing books out there um in the realm of the hungry ghosts that's Gabriel oh, yeah. Mate. i don't know if you've yeah. ever come across him i've read four of his books have you have you read yeah. that one? I've read that one, yeah. and when the body says no, and charm, charm, is it something about your child? I think, yeah, he's yeah. great. Author. Oh no, I mean he's an amazing writer and uh, fantastic, um, fantastic, fantastic book. Really, I mean, I love the kind of compassion and you know mm. fellow feeling that he has for all of the people that he talks about. It's it's amazing, and I, I you know. Well, that's an entirely another podcast we could talk about compassion, isn't it? But the world needs a bit mm-hmm. more of that. I think, um, although, of course, uh, I mean, genuinely, if people, um, we should do the, the kind of the, the, the legal disclaimer, shouldn't we? Um, you know, if people have been affected by issues in this podcast, I would also <laughs> recommend um, any of Alan Carr's Easy Way books about um, that he did drinking, smoking and food. He's done them all. In fact, uh, I've just finished smartphone dumb phone which is the digital addiction one which is very good as well um and jack trimpey's radical recovery is very good as well if you're mm. interested in any of those sort of things and and finally do you is there a quotation that you particularly like uh yeah there is one um it's brendan bashard isn't it i'm never quite sure how to pronounce his name because i've only ever read his books and right. uh i 
I found this one the other day, and it was, he said, I, I want to role model the energy that I wish the world had. Mm. And I just think that's, that, that's exactly what it is. You know, when I, was, when I was a kid, people used to call me the drumming bunny, you know, the energizer bunny, because I'd just be mm. dum, 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 like that the whole time. And then uh, I managed to drink and smoke and eat my way into lethargy. And I just like, you know, no zest for life at all. And then mm. once I'd sort of got over all of that and um, kicked it out, then I realized that I'd got back to this stage of being that Duracell bunny again, which is probably very annoying, but hey-ho. I just, yeah, you know, I think there's so much energy and enthusiasm and love and possibility trapped inside so many people. And if they can just get over the indulgence, then they can release that and the world will be such a better place. And and what you you just said there about, that sort of lack of energy that period that you went through it it seems to me that a lot of people aren't aware of how lacking in energy they are no and that's really understandable because um so my my folks moved house uh, ages ago and uh they'd there was a, a wood burner in their new house and they'd got some logs, but some of them were a little bit wet. So they thought, genius idea, we'll stick a couple of logs on top of the wood burner to dry them out. Mm. And I walked into the room, and I nearly passed out because there was so much smoke in the room because the wood burner was that hot, it started to um, burn the logs on top of the wood burner. But they hadn't Mm. noticed. And you kind of Mm. like think you're sitting in a room where you're about to suffocate. How did you not notice that? But it's one of those things about that gradual increase. And because the smoke had gradually built up over the course of an hour or so, they just hadn't noticed it. And people don't really notice the gradual um, reduction in their energy and their vitality and their zest for life. Because that's how it happens. It happens every day you wake up in the morning a little less energetic than you did the day before. If, you know you woke up with a year of that overnight, then you'd go, my God, what's wrong with me? I've got some serious terminal disease or something. You'd be petrified. Mm. But because it's a little yeah. bit every day for that year, you just don't notice it. And that's the, the, the mm. trap that we fall into. We just don't notice how much we're, um, we're reducing our effectiveness, our productivity, our fruitfulness, our zest, you know? Well, and it's also people think it's normal to be on a certain amount of medication at particular ages and to have various deficiencies in terms of movement and, and so on. It's just not normal at all. No, well, that, that's, I mean, that, that gets at the heart of one of the massive problems that we have in our society. We believe that the solution to everything is addition. So you've mm. got diabetes take some medication add something to your life um you're not eating a good diet add a supplement um you're Mm. a bit overweight add some exercise you know it's all about adding stuff and that's the the western society you know you're not happy buy some new shoes add something to your life you need more possessions but that's just that's the the wrong way around to, to become healthy, most people need to subtract stuff. So, mm. you know, you need to remove sugar from your diet. You need to remove alcohol from your diet. You need to remove um, just processed junk from your diet. That will sort out mm. your diabetes. It will incidentally also make you happier. So, mm. you know, it's a Absolutely. win-win. It's the, the, you know, it's one of those things that... Um, uh, Michael Greger, another fantastic um, guy who I'm sure you've heard of. Have you read mm. How Not to Die? Um, I haven't read that one, no, but isn't he the guy that does the, the website Facts something? Yeah, like nutritionfacts.org. That? That's the fact. That's it, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. Um, he employs a team of people to read medical journals so you don't have to. I love him. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's... Uh, one of his big points that um, medicine always comes with side effects but if mm. you uh, if your food is your medicine the only side effect that you're going to get is weight loss and increased happiness which mm. I think is my kind of side effect 
Well, I think that's a great way to end the show. Duncan, thank you for your time. And it's been, it's been really great chatting to you. Uh, no worries, Tony. It, it's been fun. It's been fun. Next week is episode 18 with Paul and Emily Hughes. They run a company called The Parents Guide to GCSE. So if you or anyone you know has children around the age of 15, 16, you may find this episode will be a real godsend. There's In this whole COVID epidemic, uh, lots of parents or lots of children have been having to study from home and they've been asking their parents lots of questions about some of the, the coursework and homework and, and so on that they have to study for because they have their exams coming up, major exams. And it's been a source of torment for many parents. And so... For parents who you want to help their children succeed, but it's been a while since they did their exams. Uh, we won't talk about how long, but a five-minute chat at a parents' evening doesn't really give them enough information to be able to help in a situation like this. So Paul and Emily have set up a company that help parents in these situations to be able to help the parents help their children get through this situation, study in a more effective way while maintaining harmony within the family home. So we're going to find out a lot more about how this works. Obviously, this is more centered around what's happening in England, but the the advice they give and the suggestions and so on is really relevant for, for no matter where you might be based in the world. So that's next week, Paul and Emily Hughes. Um, hope you've enjoyed this week's show with Duncan Baskerin Brown. Why not share it with someone if you know anyone who's maybe getting over addictions or indulgence or whatever the case may be. Maybe some of the information and some of the stories that Duncan gives may maybe have helped to them. Uh, it'd be great if you could subscribe to the show and please do leave a review for us on iTunes or on Spotify or any of the other podcast sites and be be completely truthful whatever you think about the it'll be great to hear I'm not expecting only five star reviews we I'd prefer to to hear the truth so um, yeah do leave a review that really is beneficial for us more people get to hear about the show hope you have a great week <laughs>